When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to part one of my chat with the inspiring Sid Bullen. Sid has a new book called Transelectric, My Life as a Cosmic Rockstar, and it couldn't be more of an apt title. Now at 62, Sid transitioned. After a life of gender dysphoria, Sid is in a place of acceptance, understanding, and contentment that we can all admire and aspire to. So while you're heading over to your local bookseller or perhaps Amazon.com to get the book, which is once again called Transelectric, My Life as a Cosmic Rockstar by Sid Bullens, take a jaunty journey over to Patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. See which tier works best for you, then sign up, support the show, and get a whole host of bonus content. Transatlantic Breakfasts, Solo in WeHo and Solo in Soho, and so much more. And then right before, or perhaps right after, depending on your schedule and temperament, Head on over to youtube.com slash Craig and Friends. Hit subscribe and make sure that you never miss any of the video episodes coming our way. Every forthcoming show will be video and there's a lot in the cupboard from the archive. So get excited, get ready, and now get listening to part one of my chat with Sid Bullens. Make believe is not pretend. We might be ill, but we're on the land. It never starts, it never No, this is great, I, and I appreciate it very much. Yeah. I have to say, the uh, the gratitude in all of your messages and everything, I think, is wonderful and also indicative of a person who has seen many sides of life, uh, aspects that would um, break some people down before, you know, or without being able to come back up, and also survived in, uh, all of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, of course, your song Survivor <laughs> is an apt. It's like I said in the book, it was served to be the precursor of my life or however I said it. And welcome, uh, Sid Bullens. Now, we are going to leave the intro in, if that's all, all good for you, as I just slightly adjust this. It's fun being the one, one person studio. And you've, yeah. you've been doing a lot of that yes. lately, too, right? Not, not, not uh, live video, but... Uh, sure. But yes, I, and I had my own podcast for uh, six episodes until I got so busy I couldn't, until I had to write the book, basically, and then I... Sure. Because I edited all myself and do all the stuff, you know, and I spent days editing a, you know, a, an hour podcast because I'm oh, yeah. such, I'm so particular. I'm. Have you always been that way with, with lyrics and, and, and all of that? Because I know that feeling of, not edititis, because, you know, it's weird. You have to balance it. You think... I'm going too far. No, no, because yeah. I have a standard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my standards are wicked high, as they'd say in Maine. 
Well, oh, yeah. that reminds me. I'm from Massachusetts. I saw the 781. <laughs> I'm dyslexic, too. 781. Uh, and I went, uh, area code. Yeah. And I thought, oh, and you saw my 207 one. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, I uh, said, Massachusetts? Where is he from? <laughs> uh, I lived in Waltham for a number of years and originally grew up in Sudbury, sort oh. of before it was like developed into the uh, the uh, school district haven that it is now. Yeah. I'm just going to, I realized the bathroom fan is on. So I'm going to. Okay. Yeah. Great. Did that ever happen? Audiobooks? Yes. No, we had noises <laughs> from this, that, and the other thing. No, it was brutal. I can imagine. Yeah. Brutal. You know, a plane flies over because, you know, it, even if you're in a soundproof studio, which we weren't, mm -hmm. but we were baffled, but not soundproofed. Sure. Um, anything. Anything at all. And luckily, this day and age, the technology, they have so many really just incredible noise reduction. Oh, the noise reduction. Now, even like a simple pass through. You know, I used to, when I first started the podcast, it was like, okay, I use this. And then yeah. you're putting out breaths and things. Yeah. No, I, I, that's the way I am when I when I do my uh, edit my podcast. Mm -hmm. But but I am a breather and I actually. And a human being. This is a. Yeah. I, that, that's uh, that's one thing that took me a little while to. It's like you know, it's very much it's similar in my mind anyway. As someone who either suffers with or has suffered with uh, body dysmorphia, I consider the perfectionism of over editing or uh, all of that stuff. You know, I, I have a feeling you beat yourself up as well with. <laughs> Just about everything. Yeah, <laughs> well, everything. It's, good be, it's good to be comprehensive. <laughs> uh, but what yeah. was the name of your podcast? I looked. I looked it up, but I cannot recall uh, it at the it moment. It was called. Oh my god, my brain. Um, Conversations with creatives. The, uh, it was called Crack the Sky Conversations with Creatives. Now, have you thought about resuming it now that? Yes, the, yeah. but I'm not quite out of the woods with my busyness yet well your book is about to come out yeah and i'm really thrilled that i got to read it in advance very special feeling <laughs> and the name of it is uh trans electric my life is a cosmic rock star and the cosmic rock star title comes from your wife correct yes that's the intro uh the intro in in the book is uh, uh about how i got the name because being the perfectionist that I am mm -hmm. and the, the, the person that needs to explain everything, over-explainer. <laughs> um, Same here, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, let me go back for a minute and tell you that, uh, yes, my wife gave me the name when we were first dating. Uh -huh. uh, and she was my, I had a solo show that I uh, performed around the country. And um, she was my director hmm, and okay. um who i met because of the solo show that i had written or was writing and and um and of course then we not of course but we started dating after of course as most our, directors our, our, <laughs> yeah our business was through we did we didn't do anything until the business was through yeah and uh we were in bed one day and she said uh you're my cosmic rock star and i yeah. I describe it much more eloquently in the uh, in the intro of the book. I'd say but, you're doing pretty pretty nicely right now. But so. um, of course, I went oh, you know, like that. And she said, "No, no, you're my cosmic rock star." And she explained it and whatever. And yeah. I'll leave you to read the book. But I knew I had to come up with a title for the book, and I immediately came up with Trans Electric as I was doing the proposal to get a book deal. 
it was immediate. There was no like thinking. It just came out of me. Right. And then, of course, you think afterwards whether that's right or not. And you go through the whole thing. Well, maybe there's other things. Anyway, I got the title Transelectric, and that stuck. I like, I'm a titles person as a songwriter, as a, a writer, whatever. I like titles. They catch me. Even mm -hmm. other people's titles catch me. Sure. So, um, I was halfway through the book. My my wife Tanya Taylor Rubinstein kept saying to me, "Really, the subtitle should be uh, Cosmic Rock Star." And I said, mm -hmm. "No way, I can't. It's not happening." <laughs> and I got halfway through the book, writing the book. Now looking back over the first part of my life career, yeah. Which started very early, so it is kind of like intermingled, really. Right, everything's intermingled. But the you know the Elton John, the and all the names that Bob Crew, that are Bob, Crew Bob Dylan, you know, it goes sure. on and on. And I th and and some of the things that did happen and didn't happen, mm -hmm. uh, which you will read about in the book, because there's a lot of things that are people or places or situations that one would know about today that yeah. I didn't do or right. take opportunities that I didn't take. Right. So anyway, I'm reading all of this and halfway through the book and I went, Oh my God, I am a cosmic rock star. Yeah. And the cosmic is the operative word there <laughs> because I'm not a rock star. I mean, I am. Some people mm -hmm. think I am because I've done this, that, and the other thing. I don't think of myself that way because I never yeah. became who I thought I was going to become, which mm -hmm. of course is all through the book, yeah. or at least the first half of it. Absolutely, and, and, but, and interestingly, in a way you did because of your uh, transition. Yes, yeah, so, so it's all still evolving even as at my late age, but I realized halfway through the book that I did all these things. I I was with all these incredible people. I and for a reason. That's well, a, that's, that's what thing. my wife says. Yeah, that's what she says. I don't see it that way. I don't. It's hard, right? Because you you go well. Did, no, yeah, there's something no, that's, I mean, uh, whatever. I, just, I live nearby, know? or like they yeah. had my number, and it was yeah. easy. Yeah, it just happened. You know, I it was a coincidence. You know, whatever it was. Yeah, I don't see it as what you just said, for a reason. Right. And Tanya was like, hello. And mm -hmm. so halfway through the book, I went, okay, all right. And I kind of swallowed it and said, all right, I'm going to say Transelectric, the life of yes. a cosmic rock star. And yeah. so I told my publisher, I said, okay, I've got the subtitle. And he said, oh, no. He said, it's got to be my life as a cosmic rock star. There you go. And so I had to own it even a little deeper <laughs> than that. You're like, no, no, no. I just came to terms with yeah, this. Yeah, I, I you just, just, you know, yeah. it's just, it, 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 that's enough. So uh, anyway, that's the title of the book. And, um, and then I went with it from there. And when I say that, it's not that it shows up more in the book. It's, it's the acceptance of who I have been in this lifetime so far. Which is really difficult, especially, uh, it, it's hard to say if it's ingrained or what causes that, you know? I think in your situation, in your life, I'm sure 
uh, it, that a lot of that comes from feeling like you weren't in the body that you were supposed to be in. Absolutely. And also the confusion, even when desired, questioning, well, do they like this or do they like that? Or do I like them? Uh, all of that stuff. Yeah. And the fear of being, I mean, the dysphoria, which is really what we're talking about here um, as a young person. And I talk about it a little bit in the book about um, my own chi, I guess you'll call it, yeah. or charisma, whatever you want to call it, which I didn't know about. I didn't really think about it. Um, you know, I was young, I was attractive, I had a pretty good body, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. And I knew from the time I was four years old, basically, that I wanted to be a rock star. So I guess I carried myself in a way that way. But it wasn't an ego thing like, here I am and I'm great and all this. It was just who I was. Yeah, which radiates outward. Even when you're not aware, you know, you could be at a party and thinking, yeah. oh God, I don't know if I can. But outwardly, you can still be projecting that. I guess, you know, I guess that's what happened because because uh, I attracted, literally attracted people to me. Yes. And without knowing it, I'd walk in a room and Bob Crew would pull me into a house or Elton John would himself walk up to me there's that's the that's the classic cindy bullen story uh about crashing a party where elton was and two days later i was on the road with him there's a good lesson in that too uh just don't listen to fucking rules people say don't go in the house for dinner just bring your tape to the back door whatever version of yeah. that is oh be careful of that there's a security guard yeah. just walk through there like you're supposed to be there that's right well those days are over but uh yeah <laughs> but you did, you did I, but when i was yeah. young yeah you know and some of it was i just didn't know any better you know sure and some of it was chutzpah yeah absolutely it was yeah. like are you kidding when i was told no you can't walk in the studio elton john's in there oh really watch me <laughs> all right are and, you going to do something for me later on it, the, the person who tells me no you know? yeah exactly <laughs> and and so i you know but then once i get in there i'm like okay now i'm in here now what and you know you just stand there and who whoever whatever you look like and whatever you emanate there you are yeah but um no i I uh, I went through life, and I say life because don't tra don't forget I didn't transition until I was sixty one years old. Right, and uh, so I did live a whole life, a very full, and you know, um, as a woman, mm -hmm. and and it, the dysphoria was always there. Yeah, I fought with it. I talk about it in my book, walking a fine line of. Would that be the gender line? That would be the gender line of which I have the track of the music if we get to it, but or if I'll dub it in, yeah, uh, drop it in later. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's you. okay. And um, y you know, there was there was always as a young person, uh, a twenty something, um, the identification with everything male. One of one of the things, I mean. It, there when now i'm going to talk about being transgender when and of course there wasn't a word back then right it was transsexual sure if anything and what did that mean usually if it was bandied about the term to me what the definition i 
heard of is that you were basically born in the wrong body okay. or identified as the the other gender sure and that's kind of the <clears throat> pardon me the general classification of that then i just right. like to give people a sense of what the word meant because a lot of these words have uh, changed in meaning especially right. for younger folks right who here may be transsexual as uh, uh as an a, epithet yeah yeah or as a derogatory term exactly it's to me it's not um but i'm don't forget i'm i'm older and I've come through a lot of those machinations of what this means, what that means, what the doctor's opinion is, what the what the cultural thing is, sure. what, you know, the societal norms, the you know, all of that stuff. I mean, I grew up in the '60s. I came of age, was a teenager, you know, preteen and teenager in the '60s. Yeah. So. Um, you know, all of that stuff has come a long way since, obviously, since then. Sure. But, um, uh, you know, the dis... And I, I threw you off, maybe. Uh, that's okay. So I didn't mean... Because uh, I think it's fascinating to, uh, to, especially as being a younger generation, I'm 47, but not that far away. Mm -hmm. I, I'm fascinated lately uh, with ingrained things and also what terms meant back then. Mm -hmm. People, I imagine, were aware of that. You know, the the sort of dysphoria didn't have a name for it. Uh, transgender didn't have a name. And that was the closest thing to it. And you were talking about uh, being uh, yeah. in, in the dysphoria. Right. I and I didn't fight. By the way, I didn't even learn of that term mm -hmm. until I went to the New York Public Library when I was like 19 or 20 years old. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. There was nothing. I grew up in northeastern Massachusetts, rural, rural town. Yeah. Um, but even living that close to Boston, it's like a whole other world. Th there was, but there was nothing. Nobody yeah. talked about gender dysphoria back then. Sure. I forget the word. Nobody talked about being one, feeling like you were in another body. You know, whatever. I mean, there was the name Christine Jorgensen out there, right? Um, which, if you don't know who she was, look her up. Absolutely. Um, in the forties. And I don't know the whole history, so I'm going to give the, the little broad sketch. Yeah. Uh, in the 40s, there was a World War II veteran, and I don't know her former name, right? Um, who transitioned, I believe in the late 40s or early 50s, mm -hmm. uh, Christine Jorgensen. And she became a sensation because she was a soldier. Right. And uh, transitioned back And then. I believe it was on the Donahue show. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. And I think you're right. That was used in De Palma's Dress to Kill and, and right. everything. That was the famous... Hated that movie. Oh, okay. I only hated it because I'm not a... Uh, uh, I'm I'm not a horror film fan or a violent oh, okay. film fan. That's all the only reason I hated it. Not because it wasn't a good movie. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was, it was that kind of thing where it was... Um, we were thought of as... Um, transgender people were thought of as crazy people or you know there was all kinds of violence that was um uh you know perpetrated per on yeah that that just all kinds of crazy things that we were or could be mm -hmm. um totally outside the norm so um so for me, just my own experience was uh, growing up and uh, had, I had an older brother and an older sister. Mm -hmm. 
uh, eventually I had two younger sisters too, but my, but my older brother was the one I just knew, you know, he was it, you know, yeah. I, I was him. My dad was an athlete. Um, I was born an athlete, if I can say that, uh, meaning I had that build or I had, uh, the desire I had the hand-eye coordination. Mm -hmm. I had all the skills, you know, yeah. just natural athlete mm -hmm. type person. If I hadn't gone into music, I don't know what I would have done. It was before Title IX and all that stuff. But, um, but I loved sports. Just let let's put it that way. And physical activity. But, um, uh, but I knew by the time I was three or four that I something was up. Mm -hmm. That I that something wasn't right yeah and i told my mother i can remember going down the back stairs of our kitchen in melrose massachusetts oh, yeah uh before we moved to the country and telling my mother you know don't call me cindy my name is bobby who knows it was a 50s main well name, sure so yeah, yeah whatever uh i just as adamant as I could be. I mean, I remember it to this day. Sure. And Is it one of your earliest memories? Yes, earliest clear it's one of my mm -hmm. earliest memories. And she said, to her credit, okay. Never did, but she didn't like yell at me or as she did many other times before, <laughs> but not at that moment. She just kind of took it and uh, never did call me Bobby. But that, as I say in my show, that was the first time I said out loud who i was right and um and you know there's no alternative to being who you are on both ends yeah in other words i was born as cindy i was a girl my mother she wasn't thank god a fancy person so it wasn't like i was in frills all the time you know <laughs> right. we were a middle class massachusetts family yeah no nonsense kind of yeah it was just kind of straight ahead mm -hmm. whatever but i did have to wear dresses when we went out right. or at certain occasions and so on and so forth and you know you put up with it until you don't right and when i was i don't know eight nine ten years old i said ain't happening <laughs> not happening yeah no and of course i had was forced a couple of times in there you know easter sunday or a funeral or something like sure. that but uh it was it jeans and t-shirts which mm -hmm. is still <laughs> what i wear today and um uh yeah, although you had those fabulous black is it silk or cotton jeans the ones that uh, that ripped yes the yes. ones that <laughs> We were looking at the album cover, Steal the He's Night. He's talking earlier. about the uh, <laughs> a, a story in the book. I have these little anecdotal stories in the book about um, things that happened to me or through me or whatever in the book. And one of them is uh, rip, uh, my pants disintegrating on stage <laughs> while I was taking a, a leap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. in the uh leaping up and uh when i was opening for joe cocker but yes they were cotton they looked like leather but yeah they were and they're on the, that's the steel of the night cover right yes yeah we were admiring that earlier and ada said you know a lot of folks like uh larue and saint vincent i feel owe something to the the legacy of sid bullens well thank you 
you know it's funny we can get into my legacy a lot but uh uh or 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 you know i i the one th- the one thing about Cindy Bullens that never that I don't think got credited is that I was one of the if not the first female rocker sure yeah with a Les Paul guitar you know and out there on stage jumping off pianos doing leg split you know air splits um, down on my knees playing guitar writing my own songs producing my records I didn't produce them all but I I did produce some and there's nothing about me in any of the history of women in rock and roll. Nothing. Yeah. Which is terrible. And, and, and that's the one, you know, my ego is like, (laughs) really, could you at least put a paragraph in there that, uh, you know, I, my single got nominated for a Grammy, you know, yeah. You're, you're all over the grease soundtrack. Yeah. uh, But you know, up and down really fast whatever but that's my only little gripe about the history of women in rock and roll is that i'm not in there right and i was before pat benatar and then someone told you you should be like pat benatar that's right somebody said we want you to be more like pat benatar and i said if you want to if you want Pat Benatar, you go sign Pat Benatar. And right. this is nothing against Pat Benatar. No, exactly. not a thing. No. But like you said, you, know, you can't avoid uh, being yourself or being who you are. I couldn't, and I wouldn't. That's that's why I'm not... You, you could take Cosmic out of the, the life of a cosmic rock star, and it would be, my life is a rock star. Yes. The reason I didn't become a rock star, well, there are many, and I can't blame outside forces for that, too. I have choices that I made as well to not keep going sure but um uh but some of it was that i just wouldn't compromise much like when you were eight or nine <laughs> much like when i was eight or nine <laughs> or three or four yeah well there you or go 40 or 70 <laughs> or whatever yeah exactly but, and and yeah. um, back to what you were saying before about the when you were eight or nine and then what was the next time in your life that that feeling of saying wait a second i i feel like i'm drifting a bit from who i am came up well i don't know if i was i was drifting Mm -hmm. it was the demands upon me sure i mean i you know the hardest thing for me and this is alluded to in my song the gender line Mm. which is the only song that it I have that is directly about the subject matter of being transgender. Other songs I have on my Walking Through This World album, which is being re-released by oh, Kill Rockstar Records. This oh, that's year. such a fabulous union. I love that. Yes. And there is a new single coming out in May from that record that is not on the original record. Oh, cool. So we'll, we could get into that or not. No, but, we will. We will. But the gender line, my song, the gender line, and and the video, by the way, is fantastic. And I say that because the video director, Scott Sachs, is so creative and talented. And he did a wonderful video for that song. So if you could go to YouTube and find it. But um, Once you're done with the show, then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not now. Um, but I allude to... Um, finding something to wear. Mm-hmm. And any trans person, I think, maybe not today as much, um, 
could relate to that. Because when I was in high school, or well, I talk about eight or nine saying, okay, jeans. But in my day, yeah, we still had to wear skirts or dresses to high school. Okay. Well, until uniform? my senior year. Okay, okay. And yeah. then, they, then it changed. But until my senior year of high school, mm-hmm. we, were, we had to. Right. That's a and, long time. But all the girls yes. had to wear skirts or dresses every day to school from the time I was in kindergarten mm-hmm. to the time I was and it. I think it happened halfway through my senior year. So whatever, until I was 17 years old, I had to wear a dress every single day to school or skirt. Well, and if you don't mind me asking, and yeah. it may be obvious, what did that feel like when you based not, you didn't know the, the terms, you didn't know that stuff, yeah. but you knew it wasn't what you wanted yet yeah. half your day every day. Yeah. So that's what I'm, I'm getting to is that looking in the closet every morning. Right. Okay. What is the least um, abhorrent thing I can wear today Mm -hmm. that won't make me feel completely out of myself? Yeah. Every single weekday. And I can remember going to, I seriously remember this, going to my closet. I can see it as I'm talking to you mm-hmm. and going, <sighs> and it was such an anathema to me mm-hmm. to have to put on, it makes me want to cry right now. Yeah. To have to put on clothes that I that weren't about me. Now, I was just saying before we started the interview, I'm on this side of the gender spectrum. There's a gender spectrum, I understand, that's broad. Sure. I'm not non-binary. I'm not gender fluid. I'm in nowhere on the spectrum of gender except flat on this side. I was born a female with a full female body, but I feel like a binary man. Mm -hmm. I don't feel... um, And people have questioned me about this. How do you know you have never had a female thought? (laughs) Live in my body. Live in my brain. I don't relate Mm. to women. Mm -hmm. I was one for 61 years. And I was socialized as a woman. So, of course, I've got the socialization of a woman. You can't get rid of that. Sure. The misogyny coming at me and, you know, lack of self-esteem. And I'm not trying to generalize everything, but my experience. Sure. In the day that I grew up in, um, and I thank God that I didn't wasn't born any earlier than I was, because we did have the sexual revolution of the 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 '60s. Not that I was involved in that, because I had body dysphoria. But <laughs> but the the women's movement, mm-hmm. you know, the and androgyny movement. as well, being celebrated with like Jagger, as you point out, exactly, in the book. but celebrated for men. Yes. Not for women. Right. 
all that that's a whole nother thing the androgyny and i was called and that was the word androgynous mm-hmm. if you go back and look at the 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 press reviews or, or, oh, or yeah, the yeah. you know whatever or or the descriptions of cindy bullens mm-hmm. uh it was androgynous female right and uh or female mick jagger if they were talking about a performance um but so it was hard it was it was hard being me and i have a little line in my book that says i had my t-shirt and jeans in the garage so that when i got off the, off the bus school bus and walked up into the garage i mean i literally could i it was like the, it was like i don't know wearing um clothes with stick pins in them or something yeah. you know it was you know get me out of these clothes and uh, the rest of the time, other than being in school or an occasional thing I had to do with my parents, you know, I was in T-shirts, sneakers, and jeans. And then when I got older and high school, you know, started playing music and stuff, it was boots, T-shirts, and jeans, <laughs> and uh, and all kinds of cool jackets of the '60s and early '70s. There was a lot of cool jackets yeah. back then. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so how much of your life would you feel, especially in that time, but later? was about compartmentalizing and almost dissociating, which, yeah. Dissociation is a good word. Um, and again, it's kind of that you can't get rid of who you are. It's like, I didn't pretend to be a girl. Right. Ever. Yeah. Except, um, this is a fun, fun little thing I'm going to throw out. Except on American Bandstand with Dick Clark. That's mm-hmm. a whole thing. If you... That's on YouTube too. My appearance on American Bandstand with Dick Clark, who was a nice man, but very misogynist. Interesting. Yeah. If you watch that clip, you will go, oh my God. I might insert a bit of that. He it's the one is, clip I didn't watch. He I, was so misogynist. Mm-hmm. But I, I, the, when I look at that clip, this is an aside. Nobody else sees this, but I see it when I watch it. Yeah. I was trying to be this kind of, you know, kind of spry little, not little girl, but an you ingenue know, of sorts. I never, that will never, could never happen. But yeah, I was just, my voice was a little higher. I was trying to be a little more genteel, is also not a word that's associated <laughs> with me, but, um, you know. <laughs> You know, just a little bit more feminine. Sure, sure. Uh, so that was the one time I tried to do that. It, it, and I watch it now and go, oh. but he's even worse than me. So I'm, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't bad. But um, and and just to yeah. that, uh, how often did would you find yourself in situations where you could feel the implicit, unspoken, tacit um, expectation of to, uh, of to me- be. To be a woman? Yeah, to be sort of in your mannerisms and affect the way that, say, Dick Clark expected you to be. A lot. Mm -hmm. A lot back in those days. Yeah. And uh, and some of it was not about affectations or, you know... uh, Mannerisms. Mannerisms, thank you. Um, Haven't had enough coffee today, but... um, If you'd like tea, I'm well stocked. No, that's okay. It's all good. Um, you know, it wasn't all about that. Some of it was just, uh, you know, implicit, not even implicit, expl- explicit. Sure. And, you know, you walk into a record company with a demo tape, and they say, gee, really love the songs. But we already have a women, woman. Right. 
a woman on our label. We already have a woman on our label. Oh. Right. Nothing else to say after that. Yeah. Except swearing at the person and telling them, to, are you fucking kidding me? And this would be probably, I'm guessing, after a few weeks or months of yeah. jerking around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, But it happened more than once, and I am not the only woman it's happened to, believe me. Sure. Many of my colleagues my age or within an age range who were looking for deals in the 70s, yeah, you know, late 70s, early 80s, um, it started shifting after that. I think we were maybe the last ones to have that particular comment mm -hmm. because then came, uh, well, Blondie was in there, you know, Chrissy Hind, the pretenders and, but they were groups. Yes, that's right. Yeah. They were bands, even though, you know, Blondie was a band, right? Fleetwood Mac was a band. The pretenders were a band. Mm -hmm. They were all bands. And of course I could name others. Sure. Uh, well, that is a very, um, important distinction. Yeah. Pat Benatar was singular, um, and uh, and others, but the bands could get deals. The women solo uh, artists had a harder time. Plus, and I was told this to my face: we don't want want you to write your own songs or produce your own records. I'm a songwriter. I wrote all the songs on my first album. <laughs> One of them, Survivor, was nominated for a Grammy. Yeah. Oh, but don't write it. That was after. That was after you know, that. That was after that. Oh, that's crazy. So, um, yeah, there was all kinds of stuff going around and, and coming at us. And I say us because it's true. And, uh, you know, moving on from there, it was it, so... But I, like I said, I mean, it goes back to the, the point of I, I couldn't not be who I was. I right. couldn't play the game. I couldn't, I literally had a record company president say to me, we want you to wear dangly earrings and tank tops and look for more female. Which is to me, uh, reminiscent of the school uniform. Yeah whatever it's a uniform yeah that you it's didn't, also that, that, the most misogynic yes misogynistic thing you can say and i looked at him and there was some other stuff that was along with the don't write your own songs and the 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 don't produce your own records and i walked out of that office and i the line in the book is I was I walked out of that office determined, determined to not do one thing that he said. Yeah. And, but as a result of that, the PS is that album that I made and I wrote the songs and produced the record was never released. That was the third album. Mm -hmm. Reckless mm -hmm. was never released. Would that by any chance be coming out anyway? Doubt it. No. Is that a rights issue? Because of the reason it's not coming out is because, uh, well, as far as I know, the tapes that I have of it, I don't have the 24 track. Mm -hmm. I have the, um, you know, the, the quarter inch sure. mixes and they're destroyed basically. Sure. And I do 
and I don't have the rights. They're buried somewhere. Sure. Would this be when you were still with the freeze? Yes. So I believe he has the rights to that. And Go. listeners not familiar, Tony DeFreeze was the manager that helped Bowie launch his incredible fame. He had some great ideas, but he also had a, some really unhealthy and unhelpful financial attitudes towards his artists. Right. He also was the one who changed John Mellencamp's name. Right. It was John Cougar. And uh, didn't tell he, him. Oh, he didn't tell him. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> that's the story I heard from Tony's now deceased wonderful assistant um is that tony didn't think that anybody would buy an album with the name john mellencamp mm -hmm. so he changed it to johnny cougar and the story is hearsay but the mm -hmm. story is that tony and i never asked tony directly and i don't know what name what what answer he'd give me um the story is that he didn't tell John until the album was printed and ready to go out. And Johnny Cougar uh, had to go along with it yeah. because he wanted the album out. Yeah, it was a, that was the choice for him. That was the choice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we could talk about Tony DeFreeze. I have two, and we, we won't, but I had, <laughs> I, I, you know, and I've been in touch with him actually lately mm -hmm. about certain things. And, you know, you get older and things are forgiven, but uh, sure. he did, he did uh, some good things for me. And, but there were other things that were, you know, just not acceptable, but um uh, I have no regrets in terms and, of And that. also in the book, it's clear that for whatever advice other people would give you about him, you felt, uh, and it's clearly... Uh, he heard me. That's the thing. And, and the various things he said to you about who right. you are and all right. that. Right, he did. And that's, that. I will never, you know, forget that, is that he, after all these, forget it, we have a woman on our label or, you know, we have too many or, you know, you're not right for us or we want you to look like a girl or mm -hmm. whatever it was. I was really beaten down and thought, you know, forget it. And um, it's not going to happen. And I knew I had good songs. Yeah. Which bore out later. Um, the frustration of that must but, have been overwhelming. Yeah, it was. I, I Here's the thing. It never occurred to me growing up, being a teenager, knowing I was going to be in music, wanting to be a rock and roll star. But I, you know, I was in rural Massachusetts and didn't know how I was going to get there. But I knew somehow I was going to play music and sure. do whatever I did. And then, of course, my life happened. I met Elton John, Bob Crew, Bob Dylan, blah. And so, you know, the tra trajectory was there. Um, but... It never, ever, ever crossed my mind that there would be a difference between a male trying to be a rock and roll star mm -hmm. or working toward that, writing music, performing, playing, all the stuff, trying to get a record deal, and a woman. Right. Never occurred to me. Because why would it? You know, why, why would it? Exactly. And I mean, also you see, let's say, Joni Mitchell and yeah. uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash. You're like, well, that's kind of the same thing. And there's kind lots of- Kind of the same thing, but yeah. Joni was more folk music. She wasn't rock and exactly. roll. Yeah. A, the, and, and these are the things that are the, I don't know how subtle they are, but they're, to me, they're subtle in the sense that there was Linda Ronstadt, 
you know, there were there was Nicolette Larson, there mm-hmm. was Joni Mitchell, there was Bonnie Raitt, who but Bonnie Raitt, dear friend of mine for many years, thank she's wonderful. Um, you know, was doing it from the time she was twenty years old. She was out there, but she was playing blues and was more in the folk niche kind niche of niche yeah. kind of thing. And was playing, you know, the folk clubs around and yeah. and not the arena rock or the rolling stones category or you know the the guy rockers or even like the paradise yeah 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 exactly (laughs) yeah and uh which i played had a i still have a radio tape really i would love to hear that if you have a cassette play oh my gosh we could we'll talk about that later (laughs) and uh um, was it on bcn oh yeah i love that bcn still Somebody told me, I, I didn't even know we're going off track now. That's but okay, du- that's the nature of the show. Yeah, so. WBCN was the FM, first FM mm. rock station in the Boston area. Still is in existence, I think. Uh, I think they changed format. They did a whole huge retrospective of tapes, you know, Bowie dropping by and Mark Parento. Maybe and that all was that. when they played me because somebody told me within the last five years that okay. they played Survivor on BCN or, okay. or one of my songs. And I thought, are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> I didn't even know they were still. But um, anyway, um, back to not having any idea that it would be harder for me. Sure. Um, until Bob Ezrin, who is a producer who produced Alice Cooper and um, Lou Reed, Lou Reed, Pink Floyd, exactly. So he was hanging out in um, in Cherokee Studios one day, and I, I actually in the book, this is a secret about writing your memoir, and I don't actually do it many times, <laughs> but the one time I did it in my memoir, I conflated two two scenarios sure. into one yeah. because I, it was a one liner over here, but it played into the bigger scene over here. Yeah. So there were two scenes with Bob Ezrin. So I put this one into the one bigger scene, but I, but the truth is I was hanging out. Uh, ma- I was making my own demo at Cherokee recording studios, which is where I hung out and met all the people, met Elton, John, sure. Met Ringo Starr. I mean, I did some back. I did backup vocals uh, for Gene Clark. You know, a lot about Don Everly. You know, a lot of stuff sure. that I just from hanging out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was there doing my own demo, and Bob Ezrin was hanging out, and he was in the studio with the engineer. And I walked in from the the uh, uh, recording studio into the control room. And he was listening back to my demo, and and I had nothing to do with him, had never met him before. He just happened to be in the building. And he said, you know, it's going to be twice as hard for you to make it in the music business. Like the first things out of his mind, like, hi, Bob, this is Cindy. Hi, Cindy, this is Bob. You know. Yeah. And I looked at him, and I said, why? And he said, because you're a girl. I don't even th- think he said woman. I think mm-hmm. he said because you're a girl. Sure. It, my The top of my head blew off. Yeah. I, 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 it was like, 
somebody just said something to me in Russian. Yeah. And I knew I was supposed to understand what it meant, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I was just flabbergasted. It was like, I don't know. I've never really described it before till this moment. It was like I was being stabbed in the heart at the same time somebody was digging my brain and holding it up and to the light and saying, this is reality. You know, I, I had such a mixture of feelings and I, it, it, I, I think it just tore at the fabric of my absolute belief. Yeah. That I was going to be a rock star. My absolute knowing mm-hmm. that there was nothing. And it wasn't really all ego, I'm telling you. It was, I know what ego is, believe me, I've got one. But it it was more of a a, a, a bodily knowing. Sure. You know, if you want to use the word cosmic again. <laughs> you know, my yeah. wife is, she'll kill me, Woo woo, and <laughs> and uh, I'm I I was I kind of am I'm not really some days I am some days I'm not you know I'm like oh geez you know whatever roll my eyes at certain things, mm-hmm. but I really did feel that that was my destiny sure, and um, so when he said that, of course it was part of the the male female thing of course it was right. Because just never occurred to me that I was not a guy. <laughs> right, because your Ex- whole way of thinking is just, this is me. This I- is me. I, this is what I'm doing. No, I cannot stand up and pee. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> yeah. And also, I guess my my feeling is that you wouldn't even think of that. Like you were saying, you, you wouldn't even think, oh, this is not that. This is yeah. just who I am. And you're moving through the world. And again, it's like the Russian thing. Like, this is the language in my head that I speak. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it was it it really was kind of a mind blowing experience, and I didn't believe him. Was the afterthought? Mm-hmm. It was like a fuck you. Yeah, I'll show you. And of course, in my case, and again, I cannot blame and do not blame everything in the outer world for my oh geez, I didn't make it as a as a rock star, I can't, you know, sure. we all make choices. We all, you know, I, I made some big choices, not, I hung in, I hung in, I hung in, I hung in. And then, then, then there was a point where I said, I can't do it anymore. Right. So that was my choice to sure. pull back Yeah. and say, Nope, I can't do it. I'm going to hide. I'm going to try to be a normal person. Mm-hmm. And you know, if something's in you, that doesn't, doesn't really work so well. Yeah. yeah. Even though you can be really really good as being that other person, it doesn't mean that it's going to satisfy ultimately. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, everything's good. I'm just adjusting the this is, uh I wait till the guests uh, I see what their arm range and uh, their gestures are like. <laughs> and because I have big gestures, I I'm a very animated person. As am good I good luck. And no, as am I. I figured <laughs> I do wide and then I figure out I go, okay. And the Brief aside, Michael DeBar's documentary, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, it's available now. And he has been on camera so much that he's sitting there and this was not, he didn't have a monitor to look at or anything. He said, are you doing a medium shot? Okay, so the corner is here, here, like he, 
He actually framed himself. Yeah, he said, that's where you got that, and that's where you have that, and that's, and he goes, am I right? And they were like, actually, yes, you are. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, back to Ezrin. Was there any aspect of that, because uh, the funny thing about Ezrin saying that to you is, just based on what I know about him, it almost seems like an avuncular thing, you know, removed from how you felt at the time, instead of like that, uh, well, we already have one woman. Yeah. It almost seems like he would say, oh, you know, here's some tips. Yeah, I, I, and I don't know him to this day. Yeah, and I don't know him either. You know, and actually, there was an interview of me a couple of years ago after the Walking Through This World album was released. I'll put that in quotes. Sure. uh, Because I, it was the middle of the pandemic, and I just said, "Hi, I have this music," (laughs) and um, uh, but he, through a friend, uh, did a front page spread on me for the Washington Post, Arts and Styles. Oh, wow. Style. Yeah. But, uh, uh, not Bob Ezrin. Um, Jeff Edgers is the uh-huh. um, editor of the Arts and Styles. So he interviewed Bob Ezrin for the piece because Jeff Edgers' whole uh, approach, which I didn't necessarily agree with, but okay, was why didn't I become a rock star back yeah. then? It wasn't so much about the trans thing, even though obviously it was woven in. Be, yeah. It was woven in. And so he interviewed Bob Ezrin, and I think Bob said something like, well, her music wasn't that good anyway. Something, something offhanded. I, I never met the guy. I didn't sure. know. I'm not never met. I didn't know the guy. Yeah. Met him twice for these two incidents that were in my book are in my book because they're relevant. Oh, absolutely. And uh, uh, but I don't know him. I don't know how he produces. I don't know anything about him, except that apparently he doesn't like my music all that much. But, uh, but or the, didn't like the other me. the other uh, mention that is in the book uh, but he says something like, uh, you stay there. Well, he was in the room. He had met me before during this, you know, it's going to be twice as hard for you incident. Call it an incident. It's not what, you know, statement. And um, uh, I don't know what the time frame was. A couple months later, whatever it was, uh, there was a party uh, at Cherokee Studios. <laughs> And this is before Elton. This is where all the stuff happened for me, um, where it was a live recording of Doctor John's a Doctor John's album, and don't ask me the name because I don't know. <laughs> and but it was with all these great stars, and Ringo Starr was you know all these people. They had set up a uh, a stage, uh, a temporary stage in the big stu- studio A. Mm-hmm. And um, with tables around. So it was going to be like a, you know, filmed. It was going to be filmed. And um, I was just there hanging out. And I, of course, like the Elton John incident where I was in the control room supposed to be observing, I infiltrated the the room. And actually, Bob Ezrin tried to kick me out. (laughs) And I said, no. Uh, well, I might have said okay, but I didn't leave. Right. And uh, so after the recording, I, uh, after the filming of the Dr. John album and the whole thing, I mean, it was really star-studded. And and uh, they started to jam. I mean, there was all these A-list musicians and, and uh, 
And Bruce Robb, who was one of the Robb brothers, the three Robb brothers who own Cherokee Studio, Bruce is still there, I mm-hmm. believe. And um, I think the other two are deceased. And um, he got up, Bruce got up on stage, and we were all friends and everything, and started to jam. He was a keyboard player. And I thought, oh, maybe I can get in on this. So I walked around the back, but I'm, I, you know, I'm, I was in the room. I had enough chutzpah to get in the room. I had enough chutzpah to say, no, I'm not leaving. <laughs> but I didn't have enough chutzpah to go up and just grab somebody's mic or get in the front. I, you know, forget it. I mean, I do have manners. So, <laughs> so I walked around the back and uh, of the stage, the uh, built stage, and there were two drum sets. And somebody was on the the left. I say it was empty in the book, but it wasn't. It was, or, so if I'm looking out at the stage, somebody was on the one on my right. The left one was empty. So I used to play drums when I was a kid. I'm not a great drummer or anything, but I can keep a beat. So I got, and it was a blues. They were just playing 12-bar blues, you mm-hmm. know. So I got up on the drum set on, on the left, and I just start playing, the, da, 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 you know, whatever it was, the blues. And after a few minutes, I look over to the right set and because it had become empty and because one guy had left and suddenly I look over and there's Ringo Starr. (laughs) Looking at me, smiling, playing the drum. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) I'm sitting at a drum set and Ringo Starr is sitting at the other drum set. And, and we're playing away, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, and smiling at me. So then somebody came up. Of course, it was one of those things. And, and somebody came up and pushed me off the drum set. And I said, oh, this does get to Bob Ezra. I'm just telling a story. Oh, and it's a great story. And I know where it goes. So, and so, so, I'm, uh, so I get up off the drum set. And I say, well, I'm on the stage now. I'm on, I'm on stage. So I kind of wander up. And it's pretty big. St- I mean, there's like 10 musicians up there. Yeah. So in my mind, I don't know how many there were, but there were a lot. Yeah. And of course, there was a grand piano. So it had to be big enough because Dr. John was up there. And uh, I think Eric Clapton was up there by this time. And he was playing congas, not, not the guitar. <laughs> Steve, and I want to... I'm going to go blank on his name was playing guitar. Steve Hunter? It might have been Steve Hunter. I cannot remember. Well, he so. was a common Ezrin Okay, guy. so it might have been him. And uh, uh, so, and and they had given Joe Cocker had gotten up on oh, okay. stage. Yeah. So now he's singing. Yeah. And they're just this 12-bar blues, you know, four o'clock in the morning, you know, whatever. And... Joe, of course, is hammered, you know, and <laughs> so I'm just standing there. I don't know. I can't remember. I might have picked up a tambourine. I don't re- really remember. I was kind of just standing there doing something, whatever. Yeah. And suddenly, Joe Cocker starts, like, getting, you know, unsteady. Sure. And somebody literally throws me his mic. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my friggin' God. Yeah. I I really had no 
desire to do that. I wasn't looking to get out there and start singing. I wasn't, I was just hanging out with the big guys, right? Yeah. Feeling really good being on that stage, just kind of hanging out. I just played drums with Ringo Starr. <laughs> I mean, what else do yeah. you want? Yeah. And uh, somebody threw me his mic and I thought, oh my God. And now everybody's looking at me. Because all they know is that you're on stage, so therefore you're supposed to be there. I guess, but nobody knew who I was, of course. You know, so I'm sure they were all thinking, "What? Who the hell is that?" You know, whatever. (laughs) All right, but I had the big hair, and I, you know, I looked the part, whatever. And so I just started singing, and of course, I was making up blues lyrics. Mm -hmm. Who knows what? You know, and and uh, I, I just making. You know, I didn't even know what I was singing. Sure. But I was, you know, just doing the thing. And after a few rounds, I thought, okay, I'm I'm done. This was good. I don't <laughs> this, want it to go this south. Was good. I, 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 I'm going to get off. And I, I don't know who I gave the mic to. Somebody or somebody came and took it. I don't remember. Yeah. And I thought, I'm done. I'm not staying on the stage anymore. I, this is it. I've had my thing. It's just fantastic and wonderful i'm dr john and ringo Starr and eric clapton and whoever else joe cocker so i get off the front of the stage i didn't even go back around or anything Mm -hmm. i'm going off the front of the stage and bob ezrin yeah comes up to me and he said don't move um I'll tell her he he said that he said you just got yourself a deal kiddo and the reason i know that the reason I know that was the exact line is because I've been keeping journals oh, for right. 50 years. I couldn't have written my book without the journals. Sure. Which are a blessing and a curse for those who journal, uh, if especially 50 years of them. What's the curse? The curse is you get to see that you're the same person you've always been. <laughs> you have the same issues, uh-huh. the same brain function. Yeah. The same foibles, the same attitude, this whatever. Yeah. And believe me, and and I'll break my own in. I've been in recovery for 40, uh, 46 and a half years. I've been th- in therapy. I've been, you know, I've, you know, and I'm still, <laughs> I still have the same issues I had when I was 20. But anyway. Um, it's actually encouraging, I think, for people to hear that. Maybe. No, because, you know, people can yeah. struggle. Why haven't I figured this out yet? Why yeah. oh, haven't no. I? No, no. It's a lifelong process. Trust me. Yeah. I am old now, and it is ongoing. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. Because guess what? Most of my friends are older, too, now, or yeah. a lot of them. And we all have the same, and many in recovery, and many who've just evolved, you sure. know. Um. The trick is, and I'll just put this little adjunct here, is and 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 uh, is don't stop growing. Is the desire is, and this is just a little aside on that. What's well, an important one? If I had been the same person but had no desire to change, mm-hmm. even though I get really tired of the same old shit that I think about. <laughs> My same old depression, my same old negativity, my same old lack of self-esteem, you know, all of the stuff I still have, even though I get really sick of that. Yeah. There's an inner desire to keep going. Right. To keep I, I learning. relate to that. I, I'm, I recently got diagnosed bipolar 
yet something triggered me the other day that it put me my mind went to 15 years ago and it was right when i woke up so it was like yeah. i didn't have a medic you know i, I yeah, had to yeah, take my, yeah. my i don't know what your process is in the morning but when that stuff happens you go you have to be self-compassionate yeah go, okay this is sort of it's like having diabetes i gotta take yeah. my insulin yeah, yeah let's just chill for 20 30 minutes yeah. and then we'll try to move on anyway no it's you. it's true it's true and i still have little self-compassion that's my big bugaboo it's a tough one and part of it is the trans thing i i really think uh, that going back to another thing but let me finish the story yes my apologies we'll but we do no go, no not, want, not your yeah, apologies yeah. at all i was the one who interjected and uh so bob ezrin comes up to me he says don't go away i think you got yourself a record deal kiddo uh don't go away so um i didn't I stood there and he came back and led led me over to Al Teller, who was that at that time the president of United Artists Records. And literally that night in nineteen seventy I think it was seventy four, I got off offered a record deal. And I didn't take it. I never returned Al Teller's call. Wow. Yeah. That, I think, if you want to get really deep and psychological about it, was because I felt so out of my own body. Sure. I mean, I can only, and didn't have the self-esteem at the time. I had the self-esteem to go back around the back of the stage and to take the mic and to sing with everything I had. And I did. I wasn't wimpy and sang like that. I sang. You know, I used whatever that charisma was or the chi or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. I was there. I sang. I was sweating. You know, the, the whole thing. I mean, playing with the A-listers, you know, not only A-listers, I'm playing with the stars for God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the big boys. Yeah. And and I did. And I got off the record, uh, the uh, stage and was offered a record deal, but it scared the bejesus out of me. Mm-hmm. What does this mean? Who am I going to have to be? What am I going to have to do? And would some of that be who, what would I have to reveal? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if all of it was conscious. In fact, I doubt all of it was. Mm -hmm. It was just that feeling of, I can't get too close. Like maybe the dream is the dream and the, 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 um, the wish is the wish of being a rock star. But, uh-oh, what happens <laughs> if I do get famous? Right. What do I have to reveal then? What's going to happen then? And um, so, anyway, I didn't take it. I ended up signing with Al Teller ten, uh, 15 years later. Yeah. On another label. But uh, that's another story. Um, But uh, something that I found very nice in the book is that despite what happened in the past, Teller wasn't uh, vindictive or anything. He was, if anything, extremely uh, helpful and uh, a supporter. Yeah, supportive. I mean, he signed me. That's another story. After I had two kids by this time and was trying to be a normal, normal person in Connecticut with a husband... A gay husband, but a husband. If you're going to have a husband, have a gay husband. Exactly. (laughs) And um, 
uh, and we had two kids in the Montessori school, and I talk about being the Connecticut housewife, which I wasn't, but I was kind of had deemed that by or seen as that by other people. Sure. And then sometimes uh, when you're seen as that, it's almost like you become it to 15 to 20%. No? Well, I mean, in the interactions. In, 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 the, in interactions the interactions with people, yes, yeah. but not in my own mind. Of course. Never of course. in my own mind. But but yes, in my interactions, I was trying to be the, in the school doing, I went to, did all the things in the Montessori school that parents do, you know, and uh, so on and so forth. But yes, I signed with Al Teller after that, uh, uh, which I never thought I, I, I didn't make a record for 10 years. Uh, after my first couple, um, going back to the what we were talking about before, and mm-hmm. then got a record deal in 1989 with Al Teller, and uh, which was unexpected. Sure. And brought, and it was also that was the the blessing and a curse because I made the record. It had great. Um, uh, we had great high hopes for it, uh, and uh, but it it. I was a female rocker, and I mean rocker in 1989, um, when uh, Madonna and Cher Mm -hmm. and Janet Jackson were the female side, and it was the male side was like, I don't know. Guns and Roses. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Well, yes, but 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 it was New Kids on the Block. I'm oh, talking about Top 40. Right. Okay, gotcha. Top sure. 40 was, uh, uh, you know, Michael Jackson sure. you know, and all that stuff. And yes, the, the, the male heavy metal bands. So there wasn't a lot of room for me. Um, but I was ecstatic that I had another chance to make a record and I did, and I made a good record at the time. It was a good record. Uh, and I felt like it was the record I wanted to make with, uh, Bob Clearmountain, who, who was then managed by, by Dan, my husband, Dan crew, who was the brother of Bob crew. And you have to kind of read the book to get the whole, the Bob crew stories are really yes. amazing. And, um, uh yeah and, and for just a touch for people who are not familiar with bob crew four seasons think jersey boys exactly yeah. only he was not portrayed in jersey boys as big a, as as big of an influence as he was okay see i still haven't seen it i know the role of, it, of bob crew is much less in jersey boys than it really was in real life hmm. uh with the four seasons uh but anyway uh so I was happy to make the record with, and Al Teller did sign me. But then immediately, like the rest of my my albums that came out, whoever signed me to that label or a label, and I had a, rec- a record come out, they they were gone after, mm-hmm. within months, or, or and and the promotion was nil. <laughs> Is that what happened with Casablanca as yeah. well? Was that right at the time that were you? It was like Neil you Bogart. and Nick, you and Nick Gilder were like uh, around the, at the same time. Bogart is removed. Yeah. Polygram absorbs it and just decimates Correct. it. And yeah. that was the, we want you to be more like Pat Benatar. Oh, president. okay. Bruce okay. Bird, who's now deceased. And uh, yeah, that, that, cause Neil Bogart loved me. He, he, and if you don't know who Neil Bogart was, is he discovered kiss. Yep. And Donna summer and Donna and summer and village people too. Exactly. 
And, and there's that new movie coming out, Spinning Gold. So oh, hopefully a new generation will get a sense oh, of good. what he did. Yeah. yeah. Casablanca Records was notorious for a lot of things. But I have the little vignette in my book, and it's true about seeing Kisses first. <laughs> first showcase. Right. In Los Angeles in wow. 1973. Mm-hmm. Bob Crew was invited, and I was Bob Crew's gopher protege. So I went with Bob Crew to see Kiss's first showcase that Casablanca was putting on. For, yeah. or, or even there, I think Neil Bogart was put. Yeah, I guess it was they were signed to Casablanca. I'm yeah. not sure. I think it was like, a, uh, if I remember correctly, like a joint effort between Bogart and Bill O'Coin for, you know, but it was basically that. I didn't mention Bill O'Coin in my book, but I did mention him in my thank yous. Bill was also a little part of my life oh. later. But um, yeah, so I was at that first showcase of Kiss, and I didn't like them. There were a lot to take, I imagine, at the time. I thought they were, I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) But what do I know? I knew nothing. And uh, What were you into musically at that time? Neil Young. uh, uh, My stuff, I mean, I was, you know, Gene Clark, who Mm. was, from the birds and had a wonderful album no other that's a classic now it was panned back then Mm -hmm. i'm all over that record oh wow okay and uh with timothy b B. schmidt Schmidt. Mm -hmm. you know claudia lanier and other tommy tommy k produced it um and uh i was into you know the the not the folk singers but the but the uh country rock uh alternative rock which wasn't a term back then what am i saying but but you at know, the time if you think at if the you time if you think it, yeah. think about that and rock and roll too i mean i loved elton john are you kidding me yeah I was a total Elton John fanatic. As you can tell, I Led am, Zeppelin. as well from the uh, 21 at 33. I felt that that was an appropriate... Uh, <laughs> I couldn't find the Rock of the Westies el- copy because yeah. al- they're not alphabetized. That's <laughs> great. But yeah, I loved Elton John. I loved, um, uh, you know, rock and roll. Yeah. All the rock and roll stuff and the stuff like Crosby, Stills and Nash, the harmony groups, the, mm-hmm. the birds, well... They were a little bit gone by then, but um, in the mid seventies, I love Jackson Brown. You know, stuff good like songs, that. good songs, well sung, beautifully exactly, played, exactly. And the harmonies are an interesting yeah, thing too, yeah. because you did so many harmony vocals and so many albums. Yes, and uh, and that brings me to now, where I'm my trio, the Refugees. Just let me put this little thing in there, and I'm out here because, well, I just did the audio book for my book, but. Um, but also uh, the refugees, Wendy Waldman, Deborah Holland, who was the lead singer for Animal Logic mm. with Stuart Copeland and Stanley Clark back in the late 80s, early 90s. Wendy Waldman, who's fantastic singer-songwriter, was of that era of Jackson Brown and, and Linda mm-hmm. Ronstadt and all that and has had many hit records. And I are a trio. We were three women singer-songwriters uh, that changed 12 years ago we've been together 15 years but we got together and made an album called california mm-hmm. which just is co- which is coming out uh may 19th and uh it is a i mean it's i want to say it's a tribute album but it's not really it's a celebration of those bands the oh, birds okay. flying burrito brothers 
uh, Beach Boys, yeah, uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, even Sly and the Family Stone, mm. uh, Mamas and Papas. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sixties, early mid sixties to early seventies harmony groups, sure, because we that's what we do. We do yeah. three part harmony, um, and uh, uh, so far, we're we're just getting the reviews in now. It's it's gotten great reviews. We do a, we do, it's so much fun to do that, and it's kind of brave. It was my idea like eight years ago, and finally we got on our horses and did it. Because <laughs> um, I thought, why? That's what we do. We sing, yeah, three part harmony. We blend together like magic is the word I use, yeah. and and it is. I mean, there's certain times when you sing, and I've always been a good backup vocalist. I can kind of blend with anybody um, that you put me with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess you know I have a or had. It's changed now, but but well, the I mechanics have, are still basically there, the right? Mechanics are there, and my tone is still there. It's a, I'm older. Number one. I take testosterone. Number two, which j- <laughs> did change my voice. Yeah. But when I was a woman, I had a very pure, pure voice. The same timbre, if that's the word, is still there mm-hmm. now. It's changed a little, and I can still harmonize. Sure, because that's in the brain, right? It's how you process music. I don't know. Well, I think it's you something. Tell me. Like, well, the physicality, <laughs> like Joni Mitchell, still sounds yeah. like Joni Mitchell, though her voice is radically different yeah. than it was during the Clouds era. I or... think it's physical, yeah, as well as physiological. I mean, yeah. as, as well as. Well, I mean, you're you're either born as a singer or you're not in terms of either you can recognize pitch and tone or you can't. Yeah. But your physical body, I think, and I've never said this before, what do I know, probably determines a lot of the timbre that's there. A lot of the, you know, for example, character, if you no, will, yeah, the, the character. No two people sing exactly the same. I mean, you can say, oh well, she sounds like or he sounds like so and so, but there's some differences there because it's a physical part of your being. You well, yeah, I mean, and you say, what do I know? You know a lot. <laughs> and if you think about the like how family singers, like the Everly Brothers or the Bee Gees, uh, they the are familial thing exactly, and you notice the difference. There's nothing like yeah. it. And, and even the best harmony singers singing together, that can be great. It's just different. Yeah. yeah. And and the Everly Brothers are a great, great example of, because they were a huge influence on me in terms of harmony. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell which one is doing Yeah, it's it, the familial thing. My daughter and I actually have a, a little thing going, and my siblings and I do oh, too. Okay, well, that's... one of my siblings, uh, well, Three, there were five of us, and four of the five sang. And uh, uh, my younger sister had a band when she was young, and my older brother uh, had a band when he was in college. And my older sister used to just sing like in a choir and stuff like that. My younger sister doesn't sing at all, but uh, but we had that fami- when we when we sang together had mm-hmm. that tone of family. Anyway. Um, I lost my train of oh, thought. No, that's okay. Now. That's what I do to people. Yeah. I, <laughs> I bring them this I way. I was that. pretty good up till then, though. You were fantastic. But, you know, <laughs> I, we I, we like the uh, side alleys yeah. and everything like yeah. that. Because the refugees then, we were talking about. Yes, the uh, refugees. Yes. And uh, something about the refugees that I thought was interesting, and the country music world in general, mm-hmm. is uh, that 
as non-supportive as say the pop rock world was it seems like overall the country world was incredibly embracing and supportive of you uh at the pre-transition and i want to ask uh during the transition so let's divide this a little bit sure um let's talk about nashville and not country because there's, there's there's a distinction sure um I went and let me just finish this about the refugees. Of course, please. Uh, yeah. The the uh, California CD is really great. It's really really good. I'm going to do a little pitch here. I appreciate that. It's got good vibe. We do a killer version of Good Vibrations. Uh, you don't have to cry if anybody knows some of these songs. Uh, Carry on. Hmm. Uh, um, Monday, Monday, the bummers of the pop is dead. I won't go through the whole list, but but it's a really good record. That's what I'll say about the refugees. And are there and any the refugeesmusic dot com? You can go to. That's what we like to hear. Yes. Are there live shows planned in the LA in area? In October, we'll be playing at McCabe's. October. Something, but we have time to look it up. 7th or 8th, something sure. like that. October something will be at McCabe's. We'll, we'll also be in Ojai that same weekend, mm. and we'll also be in Tehachapi that okay. same weekend at Peter Cutler's thing. So that weekend of whatever it is, 7th, 8th, 9th of October, we'll be here. Um, and then to Nashville. And, and of course, I want to get back, and we will get back to the 70s yeah. uh, time, because I think that's a really fascinating time. But uh, in Nashville, you first encountered... So I went to Nashville in 1990 the first time, other than playing there in 1979 as Cindy Bullens. Uh, I went there because the 1989 said album had been made and crashed and burned. And I was adrift because I felt, even though getting married and having kids and thinking, ah, I'm never going to have a career again, was already there in the 80s, mid-80s. When the 1989 opportunity came on, it kind of reignited that, oh, maybe there's a shot of, you know, you know, doing this again. Yeah. Even though I had little kids. When that failed, I really knew. I really knew because I was 39 years old, going on 40 I really knew that my dream of being a rock star or anything close to it was done. It was mm -hmm. done. Not going to happen. When you had that realization, was it agonizing or was it on the closer to like a flat, that's just how it is? No, it was agonizing. It was, I wouldn't call it agonizing. I, it was like, and of course... When I talk about grief, we all know, or we don't know, but you know what happened yes. after. Yes. So in this context, before the death of my daughter, my young daughter, it, it, I grieved the death of an idea. Sure. I really did. I grieved the fact that I would never fulfill what I really, really, truly believe was my destiny. And, and how was that? How did that impact you in the terms of you're a mother now, and uh, for all intents and purposes, in the in the in the town you're living in, a uh, housewife, a, a mother, a woman, to others, or however mm -hmm. you're seen. So, 
let's say your distance a bit from how you think, maybe not personally. And then the other aspect of your personality, let's say it's in thirds, just for ease of conversation. <laughs> one third is the rock star. One third is uh, however you consider yourself to be uh, gender wise. And then those two things seem to be crushed or minimized yeah. by this other third, which is the, let's say, personality or persona that is perceived yeah. by others. Jeez, I don't know. Good question. I mean, I think if you're talking about which of those things was most affected by the demise of Cindy Bullens as a rock star, um, it it was, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't exactly know how to answer that question. I mean, I knew I was all, I was a mother, and I wasn't going to give up my motherhood. I knew I wasn't going to be the rock star that I, anyway, because I was thirty nine years old, and you know, I wasn't twenty, and you know, there were restrictions on my life now. But. I, I know this, you know what I sometimes I, you know I, I could look look at this some at some later date and go oh my god why did I say this but I I am a born rock and roller right I'm a singer songwriter too mm -hmm. I mean I can write songs I can sing I can you've written you know, a lot of great things for a lot other of people things. and yeah, yeah I I you know I have men, can wear many hats you know all that stuff. But at that time, even in my mind, I, I, and it wasn't about, it wasn't all about fame. It was about what does this being do best? Yeah. All of it. And so it includes all third, all of those three things. Right. Those thirds are all in what does this being do best? Yeah. This being, as I was born, in my mind at the time, and maybe even still, is play, sing, and perform rock and roll. Right. Now, we can slice and dice rock and roll any way you want to do Whatever it. definition someone has, yeah. but it's your definition that matters. It's, I'm up there. Now, I can do it with an acoustic guitar without drums, too. Mm -hmm. I can rock out, you know, we just made some videos, I'm doing my move, you know, and it probably looks stupid now. I used to look at the Moody Blues years ago and go, really? <laughs> Five gray-haired men doing, well, now you've got an old graying trans man doing it, too. But, you know, that's who we are. Yeah, and and also who's to say, right? Yeah, who's to say? Yeah, so many times we're held back from things. Well, I don't know. That's going to look like. Yeah, a, yeah. But then who's to say? Who, who and who? You know, ultimately, who gives a shit? Yeah. If you give a shit, that's your problem. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I say that to myself too about my judgments about other things and other yeah. people. Of course, it's my problem <laughs> if I'm judging somebody else. Yeah. Not theirs. Right. So. Um, but it included all of that stuff that I knew that what I was meant to do in my being with my being mm -hmm. was not going to happen. So I did grieve the death of Cindy Bullens as a rock star or sure. as, as a performing entity. performing entity. And the life-changing thing, and I, I have a chapter about this in my book called Send Me an Angel, which is the name of the song that changed 
my view mm-hmm. and my I want to say internal MO. Mm-hmm. My internal it was more than just my the way I do things. The the, the my thinking, my being, it was like the the crank of a you know, a winch. Yeah. You no know, sailing. Sure. You know, you're you're pulling in the sail. Yeah. Or pulling it, pushing it out. And I I sat in my office some day, one day, my little studio in Connecticut, after, and it was the uh, January of 1990, after the record had just crashed and mm-hmm. burned. That was it, nothing. And I said to myself, I've got to do, and I don't know what I believe in in terms of the divine universe or God or anything else. It shifts and changes and sometimes disappears. But I just said, I need to do something different. I've, how do I, what do I do? How do I go on? Yeah. What do I do now? Right. That's a big thing too, because this was the plan. This yeah. happens to a lot of people. What, yeah. what, what happens when your plan yeah. stops or changes? Yeah. or uh, what, yeah. do, what do I do now? Yeah. And I said, well, I'm a songwriter. Mm-hmm. I know I can write songs. So, and I'm not sure how well I thought this through. I don't know if I said, well, I'm going to write a song that I can play by myself. That's going to change my life. It's- change my <laughs> life. and do. Other. But I sat down and I wrote a song and it was called Send Me an Angel. Mm-hmm. And it was in, I think it's in either G or D tuning. I can't remember. I think it's G. But open tuning. Mm-hmm. Love to play in tunings. Learned that from Joni Mitchell many, 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 <laughs> many years ago. Um, probably Bonnie Raitt too. Um, and I sat down, I wrote a song called Send Me an Angel, and I knew it was a good song. And I knew it changed my life. Mm-hmm. Not because it was such a great song, but because I said to myself after writing that song, the same day, I will never again write a song that I can't play on just piano or just guitar. Right. And sing. Yeah. Obviously. Because from that, from before that, everything was about the record. Sure. Making a record. Yeah. I mean, I wrote good songs. Yeah. You know, I wrote my first couple albums are good, crafty pop songs. Absolutely. You know, they're 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 pop songs. Yeah. They were called rock back then, but they're really pop, you yeah. know. And and you know, that go into rock. But uh I could I can craft a song, you know, today. Yeah. But writing a song that had some kind of emotional component. Yeah. That's had some kind of truth in, and all my songs are true, but, and I'm a self songwriter, meaning uh, not that I write solo, which I do too, mostly, except with the refugees and some other, and in Nashville, which we'll get to, but, but I write about my own life mm-hmm. and my own feelings and what comes of them and what doesn't come of them. Yeah. Um, and so there's truth in there. You know, I reveal myself in my songs. Uh, 
And I said, okay, I'm, this is it. I'm not going to write for a record. I don't need a drum beat behind me. I don't need a bass player. You don't need a record contract. I don't need a record contract. You know, I just have the songs. Mm -hmm. And if you ask me to play a song, I don't need to think, okay, what song can I play without... (laughs) No. Yeah, right. Without the synth part. Yeah, without the, exactly. Yeah. That makes so much of the record. You know, that yeah. one synth part is like a money line, we yeah. used to call it. You know, <laughs> it, you, you know, you got to have that synth to, to make the record work or yeah. that guitar lick or that you know, solo or whatever yeah. it was. So that meant two things. I had to write a good melody and I had to write good lyrics that didn't need anything else. Right. Nothing, no cover, mm-hmm. no cover of the guitar lick, no cover of the synthesizer, no cover of the drums pounding behind me, right? No cover of anything, no double tracked vocals, nothing, no background vocals. Yeah, what do you got? And essentially, it's like you stripped your spirit down to its essence. Nice way to put it. I may use that, please do. <laughs> <laughs> I may. And, uh, uh, and I did. So that song really did change my life. And as a songwriter and really probably as a performer and everything else that goes along with it. And I imagine as a person as well, I know that there was, this was far before Mm -hmm. arriving at, or the realization, or I'm not sure what the best way to put it is. You would know better than I, I guess the discovery of that you were, that you are transgender? No, no, there was no discovery. I knew since I was three years old there was it was there forever and ever and ever. I just never thought I could do anything about it. Okay, that's the thing because I yeah, it, it's because it's cloudy for me in terms of you know when someone knows as it's not my experience, right? Yes, so of course. Uh, so therefore, that's the the thank you for clarifying yeah. that because not thinking or knowing or both yeah. that you can do anything about yeah. It, after a certain amount of years, I was talking to my mom about anxiety. Yeah. And I was like, please take the CBD. And, uh, and she said, no, no, no. We could have it, this conversation it, after. <laughs> I have anxiety. Oh, me too. Uh, sometimes, some days it's CBD and Xanax. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's CBD here if you'd like it. But I was telling her about something and I said, you know, when you, you got all anxious about this and like, does everyone have a drink? Everyone does. Just sit down and be present, you know, like enjoy. No, though, well, that's just me. And I said, you think it's just you. Yeah. Once you have the relief. Knowledge. Yes, exactly. And it, after, let's say, even three years, yeah. but imagine 40 years, as you know, you did, uh, of that, you don't think that you can do anything about it. Yeah, that was the key. I just knew who I was. I always knew who I was. I always knew I didn't fit in. I always knew I didn't relate to women. I always knew that I had to pretend to be something that I wasn't mm-hmm. as best as I could, although um, I... I won't say never, but I rarely, really tried to be a woman. Ooh, I hate to leave you wanting more, but you know what? I know you do. And I'm not going to deprive you of that. Neither is Sid. So stay tuned for part two of my chat with the inspiring and wonderful Sid Bullens.
In the meantime, satisfy your curiosity and need for more by heading over to your local bookseller or going through Amazon to get Transelectric, My Life as a Cosmic Rockstar. Then fulfill another passion of yours by going over to youtube.com slash Craig and Friends, hit subscribe, make sure you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. To round it off, to make sure you get everything and more that you desire, go to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, see which reward tier works best for you, sign up and set yourself free. 